when you grow up? I want to be... Hey, I never think thought of that. Uh, let me think about that. Whoa. I want to be a teacher when I grow up. Elementary teacher. I like little kids. A babysitter. A pastor. A dolphin trainer. A gentle without each bunch. A hair cutter. A person who helps in charities. Only cashier at Walmart. An author. Chapter books about mythical creatures and animals and things. I want to be a lawyer. Lawyer. Pilot. Pilot. Pilot? And a dad? A pilot racer dad? Scientist. Scientist. Paleontologist. Mind for dinosaur bones and studies them. YouTuber. Movie star. A famous actor. 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 <laughs> on stage. On TV. On Disney Channel. Or commercials. I gotta be a model. Model. I'll work it. If I want a model, I'll just be a policeman. Police. 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 Police officer. I cop. I want to car chases. Cash bad guys. A superhero. Batman. Spider-Man. I would like to go into the U.S. Army because my grandma, she loved the Army, but she never went into the service. I want to be the third African-American gymnast. Gymnastic coach. I want to be a professional dancer. 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 Dance teacher. Ballerina. Professional soccer player. I have a shirt on right now that's for Barcelona. Soccer player. Basketball player. Basketball, football, or soccer player. Or baseball. I can never choose. Mm, I do not know. I'm still working on that. Maybe when I grow up, I'll pick. I already have a whole plan. So the Air Force for 20 years, become a businessman, make my own company for cars. I want to be a Pokemon trainer. I want to work at Target. I want a, a cake. I want to be a pop star. Rock star. Singer. 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 Uh, I want to be a cook. A cook. But I don't really know how to actually cook. I want to be an artist. Artist. Painter. I want to be an artist that goes around painting walls. An artist and a video game maker. Video game designer. Video game. I want to be a filmmaker. Um, whatever my dad is. Oh, do you know what your dad is? I'm not sure. I'll be a doctor. 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 A mermaid. A mermaid doctor. Heart surgeon. Neurosurgeon. Cardiologist. Gynecologist. Pediatrician. The kid's doctor. Pediatrician. And why do you want to do that? I want to be a doctor and then I can wear rainbow sweatpants. I really want to be a nurse. Everyone says you have to be very good at science and math. I'm not really, but I still want to be one. I want to be a pet doctor because I like helping animals. Pet vet. 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 Veterinarian. Veterinarian. Zoologist. Princess fairy zookeeper. How much do you think they get paid? $29. Hello. Oh. Hello. Slightly better. Why don't you turn to the person beside you and tell them what you wanted to be when you grew up, when you were a little kid.
Okay, 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 okay. So now I want you to tell everybody. So um, after three, if you just um, shout out your answer as, uh, as loudly as possible. One, two, three. Oh, interesting. My name's Phil. Thank you for your welcome, Billy. Um, Phil Houston. I'm, I'm the assistant minister of Craigavon Presbyterian Church. I have a wife, Jenny, and two children, Rebecca and Elijah. And I grew up in a place called Rathcool, which um, is a very large housing estate. It was the largest housing estate in Europe when it was built. Thank you very much. Yes. No, no, don't. don't no round of applause necessary. I am not fulfilling my ambition from my childhood. I never wanted to do this. Never. It was never my dream to grow up and come and live in Craig Avon. I wonder why you had your ambition. I wonder why you, you wanted or you want to be who you want to be when you're older. I have some news for you. Most of us don't fulfill the ambitions that we had when we were little kids. That's just the way it is. You will probably not become a parrot or a race car driver or whatever. You just won't. It's funny, isn't it? But then your ambitions change, don't they? And when you get to like teenage years, mid-teens, late-teens, early-twenties, mid-twenties, late-twenties, very late-twenties, I'm 37, your ambitions shift and they change. Well, if you are still at school and you have an ambition, I would hazard, hazard a guess that most of you will not fulfill that ambition. You will fall short you will be failures if that's how you measure your success. You will not score the winning goal. You will not high-five just after you've flown over the line to score a try. You'll not get rich. You'll not get that girl or that boy. You'll not land the dream job. You might not even become famous by winning the X Factor. It is highly likely that the vast majority of you will not fulfill your ambition. No matter what your parents may tell you, you are not special. You are not... <laughs> stick with me. It gets better than this. You're not the most wonderful whatever in the world. I have two children, as I said. One of them's five and the other one's three. The five-year-old's my, my favorite. And <laughs> whenever, it's important to be honest, whenever, um, whenever she was born, it was, it was just amazing. I don't know if you've ever been in the company of a newborn child, but everything they do is just absolutely stupendous. You just can't get your head around it. They can move their fingers. Or that they even have fingers and fingernails. Straight away, fingernails, it's amazing. And everything they do, you know, when they, they open their eyes for the first time, when they cry for the first time, it's just amazing. I mean, they do these, well, she, my daughter Rebecca, she did the, the most amazing poops 
you have ever seen. Like they started off orange and watery, and then when they changed color, we all celebrated, and then they got firm, and it was like, oh, this is amazing. We were calling our friends. I'm not on Instagram, but if I had been, I would have been on there. We just thought she was the most precious, the most special child that there ever was born. And we were convinced that whenever she went to school, she would stand out head and shoulders above everybody else. But it turned out that every child in her nursery class was just as special and just as wonderful to their parents as our little girl was to us. And actually, when we looked at them at the, you know, when they had these performances that they do, and we looked into the crowd, we could see that our little girl was just like all the other little girls and boys. Yes, she, she looked unique, but she's not, like, objectively speaking, more beautiful than the one beside them. She wasn't, she, she's not daft, but she's not top of the class um, academically. She doesn't run that fast. Like, she runs hard. Like, she really tries with the run. She has this, uh, this real blonde hair, and it sort of flies behind her as she runs. She's not fast. She's not that strong. She thinks she can dance. She's not a bad singer, but we're never going to make money out of her. She's just kind of ordinary. But then that's okay, isn't it? You don't need to be special, do you? You don't need to be rich or famous or the most beautiful or the most intelligent or the most anything, really. You don't need to be that. And hopefully by the stage you're at in your life, you're starting to learn that, that it's okay not to be absolutely fantastic at everything. In fact, it's okay not to be absolutely fantastic at anything. And I know that if you've been coming here for any length of time at all, you will know that Jesus loves you not because of your potential or your performance, but simply because he loves you. He loves you not because of who you are, but because of who he is. So whenever we go to our school performance to see little Rebecca... And now, to be fair to him, the, the wee fellow, Elijah, he's, he's, he's trying his best. Um, as, they, as they come up, and as we look into the crowd for them, it's them that we see. So yeah, they're not head and shoulders above everybody else compared to you know, the other kids. And the other parents, they're not looking at my daughter, but I am. And when we realize that that's how God looks at us, even though here you are, very ordinary, not terrifically special. None of you, or maybe one or two of you, might become well-known for something. But most of you will live humdrum, ordinary lives. But that's okay, because God, your Father, sees you. And he looks at you the way I look at Rebecca. He looks at you with that, you know, that heart eye emoji kind of look. And he, he says, you're special, not because of who you are, but because of who I am. And that's why the gospel is good news. Because we don't have to be ambitious in the way the world tells us to be. Because when we are ambitious the way the world tells us to be, and when we put all our store in becoming that thing, that person that we always wanted to be, and then we fail at it, then we call ourselves failures. Then we call ourselves useless. Then we say we're not really worth very much. And nobody's looking at us with a loving gaze. So you know that. And I'm glad you know that. And if you've only started coming here, only started coming along to your church, keep going. 
And keep hearing it, because you'll need to hear it a lot until it sinks in. So this is great news. This is great news that we don't need to be ambitious in the way the world tells us to, but we, we, we still, you know, we're ambitious, we want to do stuff. But we know that instead of trying to reach the heights that the world sets us, we want to do God's will. And this is great, because if God wills it, it's going to be amazing, right? And it's great because we read in Philippians 4, verse 13, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Isn't that brilliant? In the words of, of R. Kelly, I don't know if you're familiar with R. Kelly. I don't know he's got himself in a bit of a baller like recently, but before he did all that, he had this song. It said, if I can see it, then I can do it. If I just believe it, there's nothing to it. I believe I can fly. Do you remember it? I believe I can touch the sky. I think about it every night and day. Spread my wings and fly away. Get your lighters out. No, you don't. I know you don't. <laughs> That's what people think whenever they read Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Woo! I can do anything I want. I can, I can go bungee jumping. I can open a hairdresser's. I can um, play football well. I can, you know, ask that girl. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what that means, right? Wrong. Wrong. Really, really wrong. Okay? If you think that is what that verse means, that is not the gospel. That is not good news. That is setting you up for another fall. That's saying, well, you can do everything through Christ, and here you haven't done it. Okay, so maybe not everything. Maybe we can't fly. But we can definitely do amazing things for God, right? Because he has a plan for us. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Well, that's good news, right? Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us hope and a future. This is great. So this means all we have to do is discover what, to discover what God's will for our lives is. To discover that, that magic formula. We just need to unlock the key to the future that God has laid before, to, uh, before us. We need to figure out what that, that great secret map for our life is. And then we need to follow it. And we need to make sure we don't take a wrong turn. Because if we take a wrong turn, well then, we're not on pl God's plan A anymore. And we really want to be on God's plan A. Is that the good news? That God has hidden his path for our life so well that we just don't know what to do to get it right. We don't know which decision to make when it comes to what university course we have to do or we, we, we want to apply for. We don't know which job to take. We don't know which girl or boy to ask. We don't know whether should I go to see tonight or, or should I stay at home and do that that homework that I have. We just don't know because it's so oh, it's all these conflictions. And if only God would let us in on the secret. Isn't God so cruel that he doesn't tell you what he wants you to do? You might have picked up that I'm being slightly sarcastic there. I'm being very sarcastic. That's not the way God works. God doesn't hide away some secret plan and then punish you if you don't make the right decisions. 
But in the passage that was read to us earlier, 1 Thessalonians 4, God does tell us what his will is for our life. Before we get to that, Paul sets it up, verses 1 and 2 of um, 1 Thessalonians 4 says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So what Paul is saying is that they, Paul and his companions, had already instructed the Thessalonians about how to live well, about how to live a life pleasing to God. There was no new mystery to unlock. There was no new teaching. Now sometimes, I'm sure it doesn't happen here, but sometimes, you know, on the, on the internet and all, you hear these people and they come up with a new plan, something new that God has said to them that they need to say to you in order for you to unlock God's will for their for your life there's usually some sort of financial transaction involved in this as well but there's something new and sometimes that's how we feel so frustrated that we don't know what God's will for us is we don't feel fulfilled, we don't feel satisfied we, do, we want to reach, we want to be our best selves, we want to live our best life now and we're so frustrated with that that we think there must be something new that we haven't been taught yet Paul says it's the basics I'm not going to teach you anything new new because I've already taught you. That's good news. And then he says to you, he says, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. That's the NIV. That word live also means walk. Walking with God. That's what the Christian life is, isn't it? Walking with God. It reminds us of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when God walked with them in the cool of the day. Isn't that a lovely picture of walking with God? Because the Christian life is a journey it has direction it's dynamic it's going somewhere but it also has companionship god is with us right there right here he takes the steps with us he doesn't leave us to figure it out all by ourselves so what is this will of god let me read it to you now, if you're not sure what God's will for your life is, I'd suggest you listen. But if you don't catch it, you can look in your Bibles yourselves and you will see this again. If you want to take notes, okay. Verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians 4. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Okay. Big Bible word. I'm sure a lot of you know what the word sanctified means. But it, it basically means that you would be made holy. He wants you to be made holy. That is God's will for your life. Now there is, it'll be worked out, you know, in your life different ways. And God, uh, Paul sorry, gives us a couple of um, applications for that in this passage, which we're going to come to in a minute. But that is God's will for your life holiness there is really nothing that falls outside of that for you I don't think God much minds whether you put on red socks or blue socks in the morning I don't think you need to get yourself all worked up about those sorts of things I think God gives us 
brains so that we can make choices between one thing and the other thing. And he also gives us guidelines and helps as to how to make those decisions well. We call that wisdom. But this is God's will for our life, that we would be made holy. So what is holiness? Well, there's different aspects to holiness. We can mean different things when we say it. And it really all comes from the fact that God is holy. God is holy. But what does it mean that God is holy? Well, I'm, going to, I'm stealing a, a definition of holiness from, from somebody much smarter and more learned than me, a, a man called J.I. Packer. And he says that holiness is the godness of God. It's the godness of God. It's what makes God God. It's what sets him apart from the rest of us. You see, God isn't like us. Sometimes I think, and I know I'd be guilty of this too, that sometimes we think of God as like a, you know when you're, you're making a, a PowerPoint or something and you've got an image on your computer and you click the corner and you drag it up to make it bigger? I think sometimes we think that God is a click and drag version of ourselves. He's bigger than us. He's more powerful than us. He's more good than us. He's more everything than us. But, you know, at the end of the day, he's like us, but better. The Bible tells us that God is not like us. He created us. We are a creature. We are no more like him than a little image of yourself made out of clay is like you who made it. We are different. And how is he different? Well, he is, he is infinite. He is incomprehensible. Can't be understood, not fully. He is self-sufficient. Doesn't need anyone or anything to, to live. He is eternal. He's no beginning, no end. Can you see how he's not like you? Can you see how he's not like me? He's, he never changes. Never changes. You change and I change. We change our mind from day to day. God doesn't change. He is, all of him is everywhere all at once. Call that being omnipresent. All of him is everywhere all at once. Can you even make sense of that? He's different than us. He is all powerful. He is sovereign, which means he's in control of everything. He rules over everything. And he is totally awfully pure. I want to recommend a book to you, mainly because I've just ripped off her, her chapter titles um, to make that list. It's this book, some of you might be familiar with it. It's called None Like Him by a lady called Jen Wilkin. This is a brilliant book, really, really good. Now, girls, this is written aimed at women. There's a little bit at the start of it, particularly for women. But guys, please don't let you be a real man and read this book, right? All right, it's got flowers in the front. Just suck it up and read it, okay? It's brilliant. She explains really clearly, and in quite a funny way as well, she's a real good writer, the ways God is different than us. Get this book and read it. It's worth it. Ten ways God is different from us and why that's a good thing. And boy, it is a good thing. But we need to hear this. God is holy, right? But then he says, 
Leviticus 11.44 I am the Lord your God consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy okay Leviticus 11.45 I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God therefore be holy because I am holy Leviticus 19 verse 2 be holy because I the Lord your God am holy Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am the Lord your God. And First Peter 1 verse 16, Peter quotes Leviticus. He says, for it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Ooh. What does God want? What is God's will for our life? That we would be holy. He wants us to be sanctified. God's holiness is the godness of God. Human holiness is the godlikeness of people. God's holiness is the godness of God. Our holiness is the godlikeness of us. This guy, Packer, who I mentioned earlier couple of quotes here. I'm going to read them out because they're really good. He's dealing with the fact that some of you might be looking at this word holiness and thinking, oh really? Could we not go back to the bit where we quote Philippians 4.13 and we we'll go and do the exciting things? Because that's kind of more fun than being holy. It's a yawn. It's wick. Packer says this, the word holiness suggests to the modern, modern people something pale, anemic, withdrawn, negative, and passive. That shows how little modern man knows about it. Scriptural holiness is in fact the most positive, potent, and often passionate quality of life that has ever, that has ever seen. He says again in another place, holiness is neither a feeling nor an experience but a kind of living in which the character of the Father and the Son is mirrored in one's outlook and conduct. So there were two views of holiness, and, and some of you might have these views of holiness, and it's okay, we're here to learn, and I hope that this is useful to you in some way. I don't want to be shouting at you all the time. I know sometimes I come across as a bit shouty. Can't understand why! But I do. Um, so there's two ways we can think about holiness. One is really dull and dreary restriction on our lives. We want to live full lives and instead we're being asked to live something less than that. A weaselly life, a goody two-shoes life, a, a dull life. And then the other view of holiness is that it's all to do with the experiences that we have. It's all to do with, you know, how bouncy we get at the, at the times of worship or how, how we put our hands up, whether we do, you know, the two-hand one or the one-hand pocket and the one-hand up or the two-hands and the other, whatever we do. It's that sort of holiness. How many times do you come to something like CE or do you go to church? How many uh, conferences do you go to? How many camps do you do over the summer? How far do you have to travel to get to these things? That's the measure of our holiness, we think. We think we've got to be really pious. We've got to go to churchy things. We've got to talk the language. We've got to, we've got to show that we are up for the experience. And that's how we measure our holiness. That's what we think. So on the one hand, you've got the really dull, dreary bit. On the other hand, you've got the really exciting, woohoo bit. Neither of those things are a true reflection of what holiness is. Holiness, rather, is a passionate reflection of God-likeness in our lives. It is when, do you remember the wee fellow in the video, he said he wants to be like his dad? 
He didn't know what his daddy did, but he wanted to be like his dad. It's holiness when our dad is our heavenly father, the Lord of all, who is different from us. When we reflect his character in our lives, we are becoming ever more holy. And how do we do that? We'll walk with him. We spend time with him. We get to know him. That is our ambition. That is the goal of your life. That is God's will for you, to be more like him. And you might think that that's wick. Well, if you think it's wick, you don't know God. If you think it's dull, you've never spoken with Jesus. If you think there's not going to be some of that other stuff that you really are ambitious for, some of the adventure, then you don't know what it is to follow Christ. Because, friends, holiness, that's the adventure. Holiness, that's the fulfillment. Holiness is the satisfaction. So how do we do it? How do we become more like Jesus? How do we walk with God more and more? Well, it's not passive. It's not something that happens to us. We've got to work it. Work at it. Well, you can work it too as you're doing it. I don't know. Philippians 3, 12 to 13 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You work it out, God works in you. You do it, God's doing it. It's all you and it's all God, both at the same time. So we are to obey. We don't just sit and wait for holiness to build up in us. We obey. We're going to talk now about the two things that Paul focuses in on. Or what I've decided are two things. Other people might split up different ways. But Paul focuses in on in this passage. And there are going to be things that I have failed at repeatedly. And because I've, I've failed at them repeatedly, whenever I was sitting down there waiting to get up here, it hit me again how hypocritical it would be to stand up here and think that I can tell you how to do it because I've done it right. Because I've walked faithfully with God every step of the way. I haven't done that. So is my holiness ruined as a result? Well, no, it isn't. God has marked me as holy. He did that whenever he saved me. He stamped me, not literally, with the word holy. And he said, right son, become what you are. Grow into it. I'm calling you holy. Be holy. Let's keep that in mind as we do this. The first thing is pleasure. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen. Right. I don't know how comfortable you are talking about sex 
Um, you are all in the, in, like literally in the dark here, so you, know, you don't need to be embarrassed or anything. I'm the one standing up at the front. Um, usually, um, I remember in, in school, in a science class when it came to biology, you know, and the teacher would talk about sex, and every time she said the word, she had to wait a couple of minutes for the giggle end to die down. So I applaud your maturity, I'm not doing that already. Maybe you're a little bit frightened uh, to do that in, in this environment. But um, what is sexual immorality? Well, basically it is any sexual act that isn't permitted by God. And what is? Well, sex and marriage. Everything else, sex outside of marriage, or sex and marriage, which is not between the husband and the wife, is not permitted, we're to avoid it. Now the reason those two definitions are in is because in the time in Thessalonians here, the, the, or sorry, in Thessalonica, where the Thessalonians lived, it was common that the men would have, um, would have a mistress or an assortment of mistresses. And there was one quote, I, I don't have it written down here, and I'll not be able to remember word for word, but it's sort of from a little bit before this time when this was written. Um, a man is reported to have said that uh, a man would have one woman, a concubine, for physical activity, another woman, a mistress, for fun and pleasure, and then another woman, his wife, to bear legitimate children. Paul said, no, you are not to live that way. You are to be holy, because God is holy. And right throughout the Old Testament, we see God pledge his love and his affection on his people and require that his people put their love and affection on him and on him alone. They were not to worship false gods. They were not to put idols in the temple. They were not permitted to take another. And so it's the same in the marriage. No one is permitted to take another. But I'm guessing the majority of you are not married. And that is to come. And it's our, it's our practice in our culture that um, extramarital sex is still frowned upon. I would suggest that perhaps in 20 years um, that won't be the case. But that's a talk for them, I guess. So why not have sex outside of marriage? Why not go early? Why not try before you buy? Why not see what it's all about? Why not have sexual relationships? I don't know how many of you were at the fireworks on was it Wednesday night there past at Craig Avon Lakes? Would you show of hands? Oh wow, you guys are so holy. I wasn't there to celebrate Halloween. I was just there to judge people, okay? Um, but if you, if you had, it's actually very close to my house, you know, um, although we didn't have to go all the way to Rushmere and Parade Town, but anyway, um, that's, that's, a, that's for another thing. There was a fire at the fireworks. I don't know if you heard that. Did you see that in the local press or anything? There was a fire on the platform where the fireworks were being let off from. It all got a bit hot in there. And because it got hot too early, some of the fireworks went off a bit early. And everybody got all excited. Like, oh, the fireworks are starting, the fireworks are starting. And then nothing happened for maybe 10 minutes. 
And then they started and they seemed to be going off the right way. And it was all good for a while. And then it, got, it actually got a bit boring. And my, my daughter, Rebecca, and the other one too, he was there. Um, <laughs> me and, I am only joking. I, I, Elijah's, I love Elijah too. Um, they're both my favorites. Uh, Rebecca, who was a bit more aware of what was going on, she was starting to get bored. And she was like, Daddy, is it over yet? You know? And then they stopped. And we were all like, is that it? There was a bit of a break for a minute. And then there was an, a Tannoy announcement that said, uh, due to a small technical hitch, there, uh, there, you know, with some complications, please bear with. And the rest of the fire was off soon. We couldn't see from where, you, where we were that it was a fire that was the technical hitch. That's quite a big technical hitch. The rest of them went off. Some of them were quite impressive. It was all quite good. And then it finished. And we were walking away. And then some more started to go off. There was nobody there. And we looked across, and there was, um, you could see the fire. You could see some people either with torches or headlamps or something, quite close to where the fireworks were. And then the fireworks go off. There's a wee bit, nobody was hurt in the end. Sex before marriage is a bit like that. I know it's a bit of a twee illustration. Sometimes things all get a bit hot. Sometimes we give in to the burning desires that we have within us. Sometimes the fire gets so hot that, for want of a better metaphor, the fireworks go off. That's all a little bit unsatisfactory. And afterwards you wonder, why is it that this thing that God created, this wonderful union between a man and a woman, that he celebrates, he takes a whole book of the Bible, Song of Solomon, to celebrate. Why does it just leave me feeling guilty? Why does it leave me feeling unsatisfied? And why does it leave me feeling quite the opposite of holy? Friends, the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. God has a desire for us that we would enjoy all the benefits of, it, of an intimate sexual relationship within the bounds of marriage. The society that we live in will tell you that sex is for now and that you're to use it for your gratification and you're to have as much of it as you can. It will tell you that if you're a virgin, you are odd. That you are weird. That you are less than people who are having sex. It's probably true that not as many people are having sex as you think they are. It's probably good, true that it's not as good as you think it is. But friends, I know it's hard. I know the fire burns hot. But let's pursue holiness by avoiding sexual immorality. When Gilly read earlier, he read from Psalm 51, a psalm of repentance because of sexual immorality. David cried out, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. For some of us tonight, we're saying the same thing. Lord, make me clean. Take it away. 
stop my friends being idiots and teasing me about these things. Let me turn the TV off. Let me turn my phone off or my computer. Let me settle down away from these things. And let me not do the right thing at the wrong time. And leave me needing to cry out to the Lord. The good news is, in all of this, that God does not love us because of our performance or our potential. He does not love you because you're holy. He made you holy because he loves you. And so, friends, if you're struggling with the guilt of a sexual relationship, whether that's with a person or with images or with thoughts or whatever, if you're struggling with a sexual relationship, know that if, if you are God's, you are holy. Cry out to him. Tell him you're sorry. Ask him to create a clean heart in you and to walk with you. And he'll call you his child and he'll declare you clean. So we're to avoid sexual immorality, but we're also to do things, not just avoid it. We are to control our body, Paul says. He says, um, you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen. Passionate there means um, not a, like a violent rage kind of a passion, not that kind of ooh, but more that um, we allow our feelings to take over. They master us and we kind of give in to them. And some of you will know what it's like to be in a kind of almost a frenzy because of these feelings that you have. But we are to take control of our bodies. How do we do that? How on earth can we do that? Well, the Lord says that uh, he places the Holy Spirit in his children. And along with that spirit, there is the seed of his fruit. And an aspect of that fruit is self-control. It's there. We need to work, and God needs to work to grow that into healthy big, powerful, lasting self-control. There will be times in your Christian walk when you think you have lost that self-control completely. You will think that you are being overmastered by your lusts all over again. And you'll think that actually, I wonder whether I'm a Christian at all. From a fellow journeyman, let me tell you, that the lies the devil tells can be very convincing at times. But don't believe that you have fallen away because the Lord Jesus walks with you and his spirit lives in you and he calls you to be holy. Pleasure. And secondly and lastly, purpose. Right. Uh, you might not like this bit. Read verse, uh, maybe, can we put it up on the screen? Is that really difficult to do? Go on, you can do it. I believe in you. Philippians 4.13. Was a wee joke there. So you can do everything through. Doesn't matter. So we're looking at verses 11 and 12. Whenever they come up, it's okay if they come up after I've said them. Make it your ambition to live a quiet life. To mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Mind your own business. 
That's the first thing I want to talk about here because it's the negative thing. It's the avoid thing. Remember with pleasure, it was avoid sexual immorality. Well, this one is avoid sticking your nose in where it's not wanted. Now, Christians, we are guilty of this, aren't we? Oh, boy. Oh, we want to run the world. I mean, we can't run our own lives, but we want to run the world. We want to go and tell everybody how wrong they are, especially people outside of the church. We can't wait to make our point and win our argument and smack them down. You want an example? I'm not going to give you a real example because that would be probably offensive to somebody, but let's imagine that after the, the, the Asher's court case and the victory that was won, um, if you like, for free, freedom of speech, well, we could go and find a, a baker who might be uncomfortable uh, baking a good Christian message. And we could slap it up them by making them do it. And we would make our point, wouldn't we? We would prove we we're right. God through Paul says, mind your own business. And we might want to jump up and down about different hobby horses, and we might want to spin that out from our Christian living into, into politics, or from our Christian living into the lives of other people who have, really have no interest in us. And we make it our business to be in other people's business. Now, sometimes it is right for us to speak into the lives of others, but when we have permission to do so, when we have authority to do, to do so because of our relationship with them, some people have the right to do it because they are in a position, a public position where that's what they do and that's all right. But you, Christian, hey, your own business. Avoid sticking your nose in other people's business. Plow your own field. Take care of your own home. Polish your own car. I mean, whatever metaphor you want to use. Look at your own life before you start inspecting other people. So often we try to remove the speck from our brother or sister's eye while we have a whole log in our own. What a ridiculous parable. A log in your eye. Surely you would see it, wouldn't you? You would see it like... Before you try to remove a speck from your, from your brother's eye, you would think, wouldn't you? But then positively, two things here. I'm taking them in the wrong order. I know that. But, um, work with your hands. Do you remember those ambitious ambitions from the start, where you wanted to be, um, you wanted to be kind of famous, so you wanted to be um, adored, you wanted to be rich. Paul says work now I know like you're millennials and all and, and I'm not I'm not a millennial I'm 37 so that means I'm a, a zillennial which means I'm halfway between generation X and millennial so it's like millennial but with an X at the front I don't know what that means but I know this that this book doesn't change depending on what generation you are so you guys I'm sorry you're going to have to work. You're going to have to get busy. You're going to have to get a job. Now, work with your hands, I guess. Um, you know, culturally speaking, we could broaden that out um, in our day because people aren't subsistence farmers the way they were in Paul's day. We don't make as much things with our, our hands in the way he did. But in those days, in Greek society, working with your hands is really looked down upon. The plebs worked with their hands. 
Those people who weren't smart enough to get a real job and a real career. People who were of low education or low status. You know, tent makers, shepherds, that sort of thing. Paul says, not just don't look down on people who work with their hands. He says, you, you work with your hands. And he gives us reason for it. He calls us to work with our hands so that we don't become unnecessary burdens to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. There are times um, in our communities when people are genuinely weak and need help and we should gather around to help those people. But it's more and more difficult to do that if there's a whole lot of spongers and freeloaders knocking about. It can be difficult sometimes to take a, a leap from what people wrongly call secular work, that is work outside of a church environment, and into Christian work. Sometimes it's very hard to finance yourself, and you need to do that uh, thoughtfully. But also sometimes it's not difficult. In fact, it's the thing we really want to do because it's what we really love to do. And it's kind of easy for us because we hang about at church a lot and we do kind of churchy things. So let's not work with our hands. Let, let's, let's be important in church. Let's parade ourselves around. Let's be cool in church terms. Paul says not to do that. Be ambitious to work with your hands. And then the last thing he says, or the, well, it's actually the first, and this was the last thing I'm coming to, he says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Go back, I think it's on the previous slide, just at the bottom there. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, and those of you who don't know Jesus yet, what is your ambition? Is it to be great and good? Is it to be heard by your friends and people further afield? Is it to have your name known? Is it to have so many Facebook friends that whenever you share something or you change your profile picture, that the whole county knows about it? Make it your ambition to live a quiet life. Make it your ambition not to be heard, but to be diligent with what's in front of you. Make it your ambition to be really ordinary. Make it your ambition to not be especially special. But make it your ambition to be holy. So that when God gazes down on you, metaphorically speaking, he smiles at you. Paul gives us reasons why we do this on the last slide. So that, you may, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. And so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So, to sum up, do you want to be somebody who is loved because of their performance or their potential? Do you want to be somebody who is heard by other people? Do you want to be somebody who is important in the eyes of their peer group and people you don't know? Or do you want to honor God with your life? Do you want to live up to his ambition for you, his will for you, to reflect his character in your life?
so the people around you would not say, wow, look at him. Wow, look at her. But we'd say, wow, what a God. Ambition is not about our pleasure or profit or position. It's not the magic key that unlocks God's plan for our lives. But our ambition is all about pursuing holiness in order to glorify God in our lives to others and to please him. There's some stuff I haven't said about this passage, um, partly because you just kick things out as you go along, but also because I don't want to totally um, overburden you with stuff. If there's stuff that's questions are thrown up, come, do come and speak to me. I'd be really happy to do that. And if there's stuff I said that hasn't quite made sense or hasn't quite landed with you, or you're not quite sure about, or if you're feeling especially guilty about something, if you feel that you have been pursuing a, a path that is more about yourself than about God, and you want to talk through that, I'm really happy to do that. I know these men are really happy to do that too, and you will know those other mature Christians who will be happy to speak to you. Don't, don't let it slide. Let's, let's live well. I'm going to pray, and then um, I will hand back to the band. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are glad that we've been instructed how to walk with you well. And we're glad that there is no magic key that you've given to us that unlocks everything. There's no secret hidden plan. We're also glad, Lord, that you don't define us by how well we do in the world's terms, by whether we are successful or rich or even those um, other more down-to-earth things, Lord, like whether we would be married or, or whether we would have children. You don't, you don't look at us, Lord, and, and weigh us up like that. You love us because of who you are, because you are holy, because you're different than us. Lord, help us to reflect your character in our lives so that we would, together with your Holy Spirit, work towards sanctification. Help us to avoid things that are sexually immoral, whether that's uh, avoiding people who would tempt us, whether it's avoiding websites social media apps help us Lord to learn to control ourselves and in doing so Lord remind us that um, we want to honour each other we want to, want to take advantage of another person another Christian we don't want to bring our guilt on them too we want to be self-controlled Lord I thank you that when we receive the grace of Jesus Christ through the power of his spirit, he embeds self-control in our lives. Father, for those of us who are just feeling totally ashamed and don't really even want to talk about these things, help us to pour out our hearts to you. And help us, Lord, to find that friend who we can lean on, someone who will be helpful to us, someone who will be pointing us towards Jesus. And Lord, as we wrestle with the, the vice of ambition, 
to be good in the lives of other people, even to be good in our own lives. Help us to mind our own business, to work with our hands, to lead that quiet life of faithfulness. Lord, for some of us, that quiet life, that um, long obedience in one direction, will lead us to have to speak in front of crowds or play music. Some of us will be celebrated for what we do, others criticized. Lord, help none of that to be because of selfish ambition, but merely an ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind our own business, to work with our hands, and to grow in holiness. Lord, may our daily life win the respect of outsiders so that we would not be dependent on anybody. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who is everything. Amen.